This is Passport to Everywhere, an incredible worldwide journey as your host, Melissa Biggs Bradley, transports you to dream destinations, introduces you to extraordinary guests from all over the world, showcases the current state of travel, shares valuable insights, takes you behind the scenes at some of the most iconic hotels, and explores the future of travel. This is your your Passport to Everywhere. When we first conceived of this pod and what were some of the questions that people who love to travel are most interested in, one was, what hotels are worth a splurge? Or how do hotels of legends live up to the hype? And do they? So our Legendary Hotel segments was born because there are hotels that have mythic stories around them and that beyond the hype actually are so special that the moments you stay at them stand out in your library of travel memories even in your life memories, as true highlights. In my travel career, I've found that one of the things that often distinguishes the truly legendary hotels is that they're totally unique and impossible to replicate. However, another thing that many of them share is an individual's vision behind them. These hotels are passion projects, launched and executed without a committee and sometimes without financial sanity. Perhaps the oldest example of that was César Ritz, who founded the Ritz in Paris in 1898. And it is still a one and only legend that, in my experience, casts Cinderella magic dust over anyone who enters. But all of the other legendary hotels that I've featured so far on Passport to Everywhere also fit that category. They were passion projects of families or of people who had a singular obsession with creating something out of the box, never been tried before, but backed up by a lot of soul and heart. One of the newer hotels to enter into my pantheon of passion project legendary hotels, and you'll have to keep listening to the show each week to get the whole list, is Villa Lacoste, just outside of Aix-en-Provence in southern France. It opened in May 2017, and Villa Lacoste is one of the most unique and spectacular properties I've ever had the privilege of visiting. It's a 300-year-old winery turned biodynamic vineyard and boutique five-star hotel that encompasses 600 acres, featuring one of the world's most impressive sculpture and art parks. The whole complex is known as Chateau Lacoste, and the hotel is Villa Lacoste. And as you will hear from its owner, Irishman Patty McKillen, it's a true labor of love and an expression of a rich life of passions and friendships. Its massive art park features work by some of the most notable names in contemporary art and architecture with sculptures and buildings from the likes of Frank Gehry, Tato Ando, Louise Bourgeois, Andy Goldsworthy, Tracy Emin, Sean Scully, and Ai Weiwei, to name just a few. The on-property vineyard produces a slew of wines, including organic wines from Provence, as well as more full-bodied Argentinian varietals. The latter perhaps something to do with the influence of Argentine celebrity chef Francis Malman, whose first and only European restaurant, Francis Malman at Chateau Lacoste is one of the multiple fantastic farm-to-table options on property. So between the outdoor art complex and culinary offerings, plus the -the state-of-the-art spa, incredible pool, and ultra-chic accommodations, there's a lot of reasons that I'm excited to highlight Chateau Lacoste and Villa Lacoste today. And here to discuss the property with us is the mastermind behind it all, Patty McKillen. The West Belfast-raised self-proclaimed investor-operator has had his hand in some of the world's most luxurious hotels, including London's famous trifecta, the Connaught, the Barclay, and Claridge's, where he dreamt up digging beneath the hotel to create an extra five floors for a luxury spa, swimming pool, and cinema. 
Today, we're thrilled to zero in on the entire complex of Chateau Lacoste, which he will reveal is truly a project in progress, with many more showstopper additions coming. He will also let us in on a new project that he's working on in Japan. Coming up on Passport to Everywhere, I'll be speaking with the owner of Chateau Lacoste, Patty McKillen, about his passion project in Provence. And stay tuned for this week's travel hack, planning an art-filled trip to the south of France. We're also collecting questions for the next Ask Melissa, so please call with your questions and leave a message at 646-535-7297, or send me a note on Instagram at Indigari Travel, or write us an email at passport at SiriusXM.com. Listen to new episodes of Passport to Everywhere, Thursdays at noon, 9 a.m. Pacific, on SiriusXM Business Radio, Channel 132. You're listening to Passport to Everywhere with Melissa Biggs Bradley. So I'd love to start, Patty, with how you got into the hospitality business. I mean, I know you grew up in West Belfast and started work at your family's company in motor repairs. But tell me what experience brought you into the way you entered hospitality and think about hospitality, which is very different from other people. Yeah, I think, first of all, Melissa... My father was a great educator on hospitality from the point of view of taking care of every type of customer. He was pretty amazing. And, you know, I got everything I know basically from him. But because I was in the family business, which was in, in motor repairs. And, and he, was a, he was a panel beater by trade. So he was constantly taking care of people, having their cars ready in time you know, giving them a, an incredible level of service. So I sort of got it from him. But the first foray into hospitality was we bought an office building in Dublin and we refurbished it and put it in the market. When the building was finished, there was a recession in Ireland and we couldn't get a tenant. And meanwhile, the bank was ringing me every day, you know, where's the income, where's the income, as happens. I think I was about 25 at the time. So I looked around the building, the big empty floors one day, it was about 100,000 square feet. And I said, my goodness, to keep the banks off my back, I'm going to have to come up with another idea. Suddenly I thought the layout seems to work with windows down each side, maybe a hotel. So you can't believe it. And back the bank for more money, given this big story that, you know, this might work for a hotel and we'd get a great tenant, we'd get a great operator. So we took an extra year to change the whole project. And when it was finished, there was a recession in the hospitality business in Ireland. So I looked at the banks between the eyes one day and I said, listen, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to operate it myself. I don't think this is rocket science. So um, again, to get them off my back. And that was it. That was our first, uh, it was in Temple Bar in Ireland. And uh, I was in the hospitality business, whether I liked it or not. So <laughs> it all took off from there. And how did your father feel about your move into that business? He loved it. Yeah. Anything to do with customer reaction, customer interaction, he, he loved it. He loved it. No, he was he was uh, well up for it, supported me the whole way, yeah. And so then if I have to ask you to sort of think through, what do you think the key elements of hospitality are? How would you define it? What would you say? I think Melissa takes a special type of person. I think people dive into hospitality as a stopgap. We never want to hire that type of person because you really must be dedicated. You must be passionate you must be almost emotional about taking care of your guest. 
as I say many times to our, our staff, we're simple innkeepers. And an innkeeper goes back to a, a roadside inn where the traveler arrives. They want food and board. And even if you have to take care of their horse, hey, that's, that's your duty. Many times they have to give up their own bed. As I've done many times in London, I've often you know, been moved out of my room at midnight to take a late check-in. And I've, I've walked up Bond Street with my bag and checked into another hotel that the manager would organize for me. So that's what customers and, and our guests require. And if you're not up to that, if you're not prepared to give it eight days a week and 25 hours a day, well, I've often said to my staff, you know, you're better in a nine to five job. This isn't for you. So you really have to be deep down, really, really interested in pleasing people, taking care of them and making them happy. And by the way, that's only 10% of the population. Not many people like that. Not many people like to be subservient to guests or customers. But if you don't come from that background, and, and, and I made sure all my kids particularly worked as, as waiters in restaurants when they were young. You know, it doesn't matter what background you come from. You have to take the good and the bad and the ugly. And you have to take an angry client and you have to still uh, work with them with a smile. But when I'm interviewing some of our staff, the first thing I said is, I never want to hear the, the word no. Do not even think about it unless, you know, the request is is maybe illegal <laughs> or whatever. But you just can't afford to say no. Whatever the guest requirement is, there is a way of doing it. So you really have to be passionate about the business. And some people fall into it by accident. Some people use it as a, as, as a way to another job. But unless you're really, really dedicated, make people happy then. Don't even get into hospitality. That would be my view. It's a very, very tough business. I totally agree with you. And it's not something that you can learn. I, I think, you know, as you said, 10% of the population either has that kind of heart where they really do feel a kind of a purpose in doing things for others. And then there are a lot of people who just don't. And, you know, I think the most important thing is to have that inclination. So how did you go from the one hotel in Ireland in Temple Bar to Chateau Lacoste. I know there's a long time in between and, and a lot of bigger adventures in, in hospitality to get you to this ultimate one. But how did that happen? Well, I was offered an opportunity to invest in what was the Savoy Group in London, which was the group of five hotels, the Savoy, Claridge's, Cottage, and the Barclay. And I jumped in head first, not knowing to the extent that I would be eventually involved. That was in 2004. And we created six amazing properties, including the refurbishment of the Connacht and the Barclay and Claridge's. At the very same time, we were offered an opportunity um, in France, in Provence, where we've had a home for maybe 30 years. We we lived along the coast in, in Cap Ferrat, but my sister had stationed herself while writing a book on food in the markets along the coast, the south coast of France. And I used to come up and see her. And I asked her once, you know, are there any projects? Because I, when I when I go places, I always love, you know, I get bored quickly. And I love to be doing something, restoration or whatever. So it went from looking for a small Bastide to restore as a sort of a holiday home to eventually coming across this amazing property, which was just put on the market, which was Chateau Lacoste. And it was basically at that time a very simple farm producing, you know, a, what we would call a mediocre 
rosé and white wine. So that was the first introduction to the property. And it was through my sister, Mara. And did you know when you bought it that you would turn it into a hotel? And did you also have the vision for, it is so much more than a hotel. I mean, I consider it truly one of the most incredible art parks and contemporary art experiences that exists in the world today. So did you know that you were going to create that from the beginning? Well, thanks thanks a million for that beautiful um, comment. It has become the amazing place. It, it is sort of organically. I didn't have the big, big full picture at day one. No is really the clear answer, but it developed very quick. At that time, I was negotiating with the amazing Louise Bourgeois to purchase one of her series of spiders. And I also had purchased a magnificent mobile sculpture by one of my favorite artists of all time, Calder. And I immediately thought as I saw the property of maybe exposing these pieces in the property. I never wanted to buy something in art or architecture that wasn't on view or wasn't available. I, I never wanted to buy anything that put in a carton in a basement or hide it away. Art is there to be shown and the more people can see these pieces, the, the better for everyone and also, also the better for, for the artist. So it really worked at the same time that I was discussing with Louise in, in New York and the idea really popped up my mind in like a second, you know, maybe this piece, if she was willing to sell the spider to me, that it could maybe be on water, for example. And that really triggered her imagination and her interest. And also she asked me what architect I would use. And again, Ando jumped out of my mind, the Buddha of architecture from Osaka. So in, in, a, in a few seconds, I had this idea of the spider on water on a development uh, project designed by Ando. So that really is how it sparked. And because my business is architecture, you know, construction, I'm always working with architects. I have worked with all these amazing people who I call friends. And eventually I would tease them about doing something in Provence um, with, for example, Renzo's great friend and Richard Rogers, dear friend, Frank Geary. So over lunches and dinners, Melissa, I would discuss the property eventually and, you know, get an opportunity to invite them to Aix-en-Provence, show them the locations. And in the meantime, as my business is also hospitality, I had a clear wish to create something where a hotel that, that, that people could stay while they're in visiting down visiting the art and artists and architects would have an opportunity to spend a few days with us and eat the amazing food in Provence. So we applied for permission. It maybe took us 12 years. So it was a really long, difficult process because the property is situated in the, in the Luberon Valley and it's heavily conserved from the point of view of planning. And we were very lucky to get a breakthrough in the planning and we created the hotel around art. So guests really have this fantastic opportunity to enjoy, first of all, the nature and the Provence landscape. Secondly, the winery, which was built by Jean Nouvel, designed and built by Jean Nouvel. And then the, the art, sculptures and architecture is a magnificent asset to have while guests are staying. And then it's built around really great restaurants. And again, friends of mine, Francis Malman and Helen Rose and 
John George hopefully soon. So it really has been, it's come about by organic step-by-step periods over this last 18 years. I mean, it's amazing. And as a guest, having stayed at the hotel a few times, there is a very intimate relationship that you get to feel with the landscape, the chefs at work there, the sculptures and the artists. And, And it's amazing to hear from you that in so many ways, this really was a bringing together of your passions and your friends that you've in many ways turned into an open experience for lots of other people to take part in something because it feels dramatic and important because, as you mentioned, a lot of the the architects and the artists there and the chefs are among the best in the world of this century. And yet there's an intimacy and a personal connection, and that obviously comes from your personal relationships with them. Yeah, I have to say to you, I never forced um, any of these wonderful people to come here or indeed to do a project. It has taken up to maybe 10 or 12 years for some of the projects to be realized, even though the artist or architect was a dear friend. And it's got the stage now that they were obviously concerned that they wanted to do their best for me. But it, it really has taken time. It has taken time to work with the planners and work with the health and safety. There's a lot of issues around getting a structure in this part of Provence. And it's been a labor of love. But once the artist decided, it was then full steam. It was it was a labor of love. And they loved coming down. They loved having beautiful lunches in the, in the Basti garden and chilling out and testing the new wine. So it's been really a, an amazing project. At this stage, I think we're probably about 50% through the process. Uh, as you know, we're opening a second, more affordable hotel. We're starting building a new Shea for red wine and for tastings. And then we have almost another 30 major projects, whether it be pavilions or sculpture. We've gone through the drawing board or gone through the planning stage at the minute. So what you see, we're, we're probably about 50% through our program. I have to say that means I'm just going to have to stay a lot longer as I keep coming because you have so much amazing art to visit that I, you know, the last time I was there, I think I stayed for three days and and I need more time. Are there particular projects that you can talk about in terms of them being ones that you worried might not come through that were particularly challenging or interesting in terms of making them happen? I mean, there's so many things that I love there from the Gary structure to the Tatoando one. And as you mentioned, just even seeing the Calder and the Louise Bourgeois on that sort of reflecting pool outside of his building is amazing. But The Oscar Niemeyer Pavilion, which I saw for the first time this year, just absolutely blew me away. And I can't imagine that that was an easy thing to come up with when he's been dead. Yeah, well, I was very fortunate to work with Oscar Mebby. He he died like two weeks before his 105th birthday. So I met him in his late 90s and we worked very closely together. This was a really, really important project because for several years he said, that he just did not want to do a project with some of his peers and he just didn't really like the idea. And it was only the more I discussed with him and the more we got to what I'd call a built a lovely friendship with Oscar, that he eventually agreed to do the project. And he worked very close. He worked with the model. He worked, you know, we did a documentary together on the project. And he literally handed me the drawing, the signed off drawing two days before he died. 
So he didn't see the realization of the physical project, but he understood. And another uh, amazing gift to me was that just on my way to the airport after receiving the the design drawings, he gave me a, a gift of a drawing of a chapel, which is really, really magnificent. It's the shape of a bell. The bell could be sort of sliced in half. So it's half a bell um, with glass and concrete, and we are now starting to work on that project next. So Oscar's legacy will live on in Lacoste, and he was just a beautiful person. But as you say, Melissa, it's taken time. Nothing comes easy, and I think people appreciate, you know, when people come into Lacoste, we, we took a decision not to have gates as you enter. The people thought that was madness because there's amazing art there. People could walk in damage the art. It has never happened. We don't have security uh, or very minimal security for the guests in the hotel, but no security on the park. Again, people think I'm half bonkers and we don't have waste bins. People respect if you give to the public something that they feel they're getting an unusual and a generous act, they will respond in bucketfuls. So we never have damage to the property. And again, I think this is the gift of hospitality that you must be generous in every aspect. But the guests that that come and stay in the hotel, well, you know, they have soon upwards of 10 restaurants of every type and food quality, all from the local area. And who wouldn't like a salad from Provence or tomato from Provence or strawberry from Provence? Uh, We've got cistron lamb, like an hour in one direction. We've got breast chicken, an hour in the other direction. We just have an abundance of amazing, the best food in the world here. So it really touches all the senses when guests stay with us. And as long as we can give the utmost best in hospitality and friendliness and take good care, well, it's a recipe for a happy place, you know? Yeah, no, it is. It's an extraordinary place from, as you said, the food to the art. And I certainly not going to ask you that question because I couldn't possibly answer it as, you know, do you have a favorite of one of them? Because they're all so different and they're all so special in their own way. But I would love to know if you have friends who come and stay, if you have a suggestion on how they approach the property, because, you know, there's lots of ways to approach the art and the food, but I'm curious whether you have hit on any recommendations on how to, to think about a stay there. Yeah, a lot of people come for the day because they've heard about it or read about Lacoste and they basically have a misconception that it's just like a sculptural garden um, when it's anything but, for example, every project we designed is chosen by the artist or architect in their own location, generally in a hidden location or the whole process is, is one of discovery. So you have to come and, as you say, spend two or three days and indeed we have guests spending two weeks and never leave the property. Our average stay is over two and a half days, but a lot of guests just come for the day just to sort of see whether they would like it or whatever. But they always come back and they always plan then a family holiday or come back with their romantic partner and spend three or four days and then really take in the art. But first and foremost, Lacoste is a farm. It's a winery. I never want people to forget the welcome we got here from the local community in Aix-en-Provence and Le Puis and Reparade and from the mayor, Jean David, we were beautifully welcomed. And it's through that welcome and sense of generosity from locals and local farmers and 
Aix-en-Provence and the mayors and the different government officials. That makes it all the more interesting and more um, exciting. So it's a winery, number one, and I suppose it's hospitality, number two. And then when you're there and you enjoy art, well, then the walk through the landscape is really what we want to give the, the memory. Okay, so speaking of the hospitality, I've been lucky to stay as part of my job as you have in a lot of hotel rooms and all over the world and, and wonderful ones all over the world. But rarely do I want to spend a lot of time in a hotel room. Usually I'm in a destination because I want to get out and see what's there. And the hotel room is lovely, but that's not really the point. The ones at Chateau Lacoste are ones I want to spend hours in. I can understand how you have people who stay two weeks and don't even leave the property because I could stay in one of your hotel rooms and not leave for a day, even though there's all the amazing things outside. They are so incredibly comfortable and unusual because of the views and because of the way they've been set up. I'm so curious to know what your thinking was to make those rooms what they are, because they are very, very special. Thanks again, listen, and that is the exact uh, comment we get. Sometimes I scratch my head and ask, why do people love the rooms so much? I don't get it. Although we designed them ourselves, we didn't have an outside practice. We did them basically in-house. And I do not have the answer, except they just combine, they seem to combine the light of Provence. But, you know, they're very simple rooms. I think the, the personality and the art we've created rooms gives it a sort of a personal feel. Um, we get a lot of guests and I know, you know, I'm always very conscious and I never let my staff, doormen or whatever say, welcome home to a, a long term guest. I don't like that. I just welcome home. Anyone says that to me, I say, no, I have a home. My home is in a hotel. So I just don't like to use that phrase. But a lot of guests do mention that it feels like someone's home in the style we've done it, make the product. And then we change the rooms every year. We change the art, we change the books, we change a lot of the personality in, in the rooms. So guests come back to the same room and they see tweaks and changes and maybe slight color changes. But again, to answer your question, I think that it's just the light. I think it's the light of Provence. We created big, big open windows and terraces. And every time you look out, you have a different color. You see purples and PQs and blues. It's pretty amazing. I have to be honest also that this is why most of the artists and architects that I contacted you know, really just accepted a commission here so quickly because it's a land of Cezanne. The light in Provence has attracted artists for thousands of years, as you know. Just across the hill in Vauvenard, we have Picasso's burial place and down the road with Cezanne and the entire of Provence is littered with amazing stories of great artists. So to answer your question, I think it's a light. I, I wouldn't take great credit in creating a, an unusual room, although guests do order more room service and stay in the rooms, like you say, than they do eat in some of the restaurants. And they really do love the rooms. It's, it's quite amazing. Even at New Year here this year. I couldn't believe the, the guests that wanted their New Year and their Christmas dinner in the room. It was, it was really a phenomenal, but it's it's a good sign. Whatever we did, it clicked and a bit <laughs> of luck and a bit of everything, you know, but I bless the light. Well, I mean, but I'll give whoever designed them some credit because the way you open the rooms, there's a sense of they're modern, contemporary, as you said, with a lot of glass and a lot of stone. 
but lots of views. So there's this weird relationship where you feel incredibly private and ensconced, and at the same time, immersed in the view and the nature. And there's a balance there in that architecture that is very special. And as I said, I don't get the feeling in many times in hotels where I really want to spend a lot of waking hours enjoying the rooms as I, as I do there. So do you recommend a certain, for a first-time guest to the hotel, would you say, you know, you should spend a certain number of days and how you should, or if you invite an artist to come and experience Lacoste and the region for the first time, what do you suggest they do? How do you map out a stay? If it's a guest, we have enough certainty to keep a guest really interested for a three-day visit. The time you spend half a day in the winery and having the, the wine tastings, the art walk, as we call it, is, is like a minimum of a day. People spend three days, but you get a flash visit for a day. And then just to experience the room and Helene's food and Malman's food, these are all a must. So we love a guest to spend a minimum of three days. After three days, you know, we've got the most prettiest, beautiful villages in the world. Five minutes from us here, we're on the gateway of the Luberon Valley and Bonneux and all the beautiful villages right beside us are a great are a great starting point. And then X itself, X is incredible. Like X is the mini Paris, as I call it, of the south. And then you have the whole coast beside us here and Marseille. If you want to venture 45 minutes or an hour into Marseille and experience this incredible grittiness of Marseille, it's a fantastic city. So there's no shortage of of adventures outside Lacoste, but we really need you for a minimum of three days to get a flavor. And as we said before, Melissa, hospitality and hotels aren't just any more about bedroom and, and, a, and a breakfast room. People want experiences. People want excitement. People want you to lay on an adventure for them. I think this is what we give them in Lacoste. Our guests come down and they get excited. You see them getting excited the first day. We don't know what to do. They're blinded by all this, the senses that we offer. And I think this is the, where hospitality is going. So the, the mixture of art and architecture and jogging and the landscape and walks that we can bring people on is, is really what people want. And I think that we've created a, something unique that keeps people busy and entertained. Not, not so much entertained, but giving them interesting opportunities and adventures and food. This yeah. is the land of food, as I say many times. And we give them the opportunity to have pizza or a fresh pasta or Helen's incredible food or Malman's incredible food or our Provencal restaurant in Ando. And we're now hopefully we'll have John George opening his restaurant in a new Ando designed project this year or maybe going into next year, which will be a joint Japanese stroke Vietnamese style food, which we haven't seen combined before. Wow. And we chose uh, John George to be the chef in this particular, and I think it's going to be a great, a great success. How exciting. I remember his old restaurant, Vietnamese restaurant in Vongs in New York. I don't know if you remember that one, but uh, amazing yeah. food. That'll be very, very exciting. So are there other things that we should know about that are coming up um, in terms of either events or new projects? I know you mentioned earlier the more affordable hotel, but what other things should we be looking for in 2023 at Lacoste? Well, as far as our program 
as you know, we've now got five amazing art spaces. And if you go to a traditional gallery, you might have three spaces within the gallery and there may be a fantastic show on in a traditional space. We took the decision because we weren't able to build one large space is to create five amazing exhibition spaces because we believe if we have multiple exhibitions going on every month and every year, it's a big attraction for the guests to the hotel. So for example, it just in one month last year, we had the amazing Chinese artist, Jolie, and we had amazing Mary McCartney, uh, Idris Khan and Annie Morris, and then a group show. So we had five world-class exhibitions going on in the cost. One of them in our Bastide Gallery, one of them in our old wine store, one of them in the magnificent Renzo Piano space, one in Richard Rogers space, and one in Oscar Niemeyer's. So that alone would would attract people just to come to Provence and stay with us, just maybe to see one show. For example, you know, there's so many guests in Paris just came to Lacoste to see Mary McCartney's show because she, she hadn't exhibited before here. That alone is, is an amazing attraction. It's a great way to see art because you have to strive to see, instead of walking into the gallery and seeing art in three rooms, you have to go to Renzo and you have to be prepared to walk up the hill to Richard and see what's in Richard's show. At the minute, we have an artist, a Vietnamese artist there, Tia. And you have to strive to see every, every exhibition, Melissa. And this leaves a lasting memory. I was lucky to see the um, Annie and Idris's show in the Niemeyer and, and Rogers building. They were amazing. Absolutely unforgettable. Amazing. And where do you go to a hotel and get that opportunity? You Maybe you get two of those shows in Paris, two of them in London. But to get them in Provence, I think that's been just a, an incredible asset that we have for our guests. They can take their time after breakfast, walk down to show, come back for dinner, go to another art project. So it's all about the adventure. One thing that I was going to say that's really special as a guest, as you're talking about it, is that you are bringing these world-class artists and architects to Provence, and that brings the Provençal locals into the space. And for a guest, it's wonderful to be spending time with other people who are appreciating art and appreciating the restaurants, and you're eating this great Provençal food, not just with hotel guests, but with locals. Yeah. I've heard many of guests come back and said, listen, I just went down to Renzo's space and I just sat on a bench for an hour. I don't know many people sit in a gallery for an hour, but they get the light, they get the whole Zen feeling. They, they just love it. But to answer your question about this year, we have several new projects. We have Damien Hurst has created this beautiful chapel and that we've got planning permission and it's going to start now in February. It'd probably take about another year. So people will see his first ever structure. You know, Damien is an artist. He's not an architect, but I asked him, would he be a, an architect for the day? And uh, he took up the role gladly. And then we have a, an amazing project by Norman Foster, which he calls the Grasshopper. That will be finished this year. Anthony Gormley's amazing sculpture will be finished this year. And we have an incredible project by the great Paulo Mendes de Rocha, this structure also will be hopefully finished this year. And then a project that's been worked on for 12 years is Louise Bourgeois. She created these amazing towers, which she exhibited her glassware, her tapestries and her bronzes, for example, in these towers. We asked Jean Novelle, would he collaborate with her? 
and create a space, a chamber to house these pieces permanently. And we're glad to say that um, after many years of construction and difficulties, we hopefully will open that project this year as well. So it'll be like a, just a reflection of Louise's entire life and be very, very special. Wow. So we have a big program, not only of permanent projects, but also of shows, which will be continuing this year. And Patty, how intimately involved are you? It sounds like very in terms of the curation of the permanent projects and the temporary exhibitions? Very much. I have to say, uh, I don't want to say that I'm a control freak, but I probably am. <laughs> it has to be driven by a person. It's not a project that can be driven by committee. It's a project based on people you know, that I've come in contact with, that I love, that I admire, that I'm inspired by. And then I would make the contact with that artist or architect and we would develop a relationship from there. A lot of them I already know. For example, the great architect, Peter Zumthor, Swiss architect, Peter and I know each other for 10 years, but we still have not realized a project, hopefully some year. So things take a time and, you know, no one's under any pressure to do something, but it's not a project that could be designed by committee or it becomes too sporadic. I think that's that's my view. There has to be someone responsible. And do you have other hospitality projects in the works or that you want to talk about or that you'd like to do outside of Lacoste? We've opened a beautiful, like the instruction was a, a contemporary real can in Kyoto. And that was designed by Ando and it's just open. I'm back there this month. We're, we're finally opening the restaurant, but it's a very beautiful bijou, nine-bedroom, nine-suite hotel on the, the Shinagawa River, and it's called the Shinmonzen, in the heart of Gion. And we would welcome you to visit it as soon as you can. Melissa, it is absolutely magnificent, even though I say so myself. We've got rave reviews from guests staying there. We also have planning for a similar project as, as Lacoste. We have a sister farm in Mendoza in Argentina, in the Yugo Valley, and we are in for planning for a similar type project as as Villa Lacoste. It won't have the same level of art projects, but it will have the same DNA from the hospitality point of view. We're always on the on the lookout for new locations, new hotels. We'll eventually open up a Villa Lacoste style hotel in London and Paris. So we're always on the move, not in any aggressive way, Melissa, but I don't think you can get this, the level of service that we want by opening two hotels a year. You just can't build the team. You can't build the background with the staff in the levels that we want. So we're going to take it slow and by degrees, but create beautiful experiences. So, Patty, if you had to sum up what you hope a visit to Lacoste gives somebody, what would that be? They don't want to leave. Oh, they're sad leaving. And just one word, we're sad leaving. But yeah, we just want them to to leave with a really good feeling that they were really well looked after. And there was a nice sense of friendliness and attentiveness and family feeling. And hopefully the, the weather is good and they enjoyed the food. Well, it's just an extra bonus here. To be honest, you don't have to do an awful lot to make people happy in Provence. Like, it has everything. It's the sunshine, the light, and the food. We're, we're in a very blessed 
part of the world and I'm blessed to have this beautiful hotel in the middle of it with X beside us in the Lubron to the north and having all the incredible facilities that Provence offers. I really am thankful to the French people allowing me to open this amazing place here and give everybody a good time. And if you had to sum up what you think travel has done for you and added to your life, what would you say that is? I was lucky that I kept traveling because with several projects going on and the construction industry kept going and the hospitality industry, as you know, generally had to keep going. But I think what after the lockdowns, that terrible word, I think people want more adventure. As I said, they just don't want a room and a breakfast room. They want more adventure. They want more experiences in their lives now. I think guests are prepared to travel more. I think from my point of view, guests are prepared maybe to spend a bit more on travel. It seems coming out of here, people said, hey, listen, I had to spend two years locked up. I'm not leaving my money behind me. I'm going to spend it as I go. There's that feeling of let's spend an extra 20% on our travel and take care of ourselves and look after ourselves. I feel like quality is up and experiences. People want to, uh, you know, more for, and they deserve it. I often say, Melissa, to our staff, a lot of our guests save up for a year for a trip to Lacoste or a trip to some of our hotels. This is really hard earned money. It's a big deal. And I often remind our staff, if people are prepared to do that and come and stay with us, well, we have a darn well big right to give them a good time. Yeah. And if we don't, then get a job in the post office somewhere else, but you're not one of us. So we have a duty to take care of people if they're coming to spend their hard-earned money with us. So I think to answer your question, people want better service, even though it's harder to get staff and they're more demanding. And I think we should be on top of our game, if we want to stay in the business, we have to be pushing the boat out and giving them what they deserve. Well, thank you so much, Patty. I, you've given me a lot more reasons to travel myself. I cannot wait to go back and see all of the new projects at Lacoste and spend some more time in those rooms. And I'm super excited to get to Kyoto and see what you've done there. Really, really exciting. So thank you so much for giving me this time and for sharing the fruits of all of your friendships with the world in this incredible hotel, because that's really what it is. You've brought together some of the greatest talents out there to create something very special. And I would say, even though Provence gives you a great backdrop, there's something very special in what you've created. So thank you again. Well, thank you, Melissa. And I've, I've only to thank my uh, amazing artist friends, architects, friends, our staff, our management. This isn't a one person act. This is a big group enterprise. And I just want to thank everybody who was involved to give our guests the best experience they can. But listen, thanks so much. And you're very welcome in Kyoto or wherever you want. <laughs> thank you, Melissa. Thanks, Patty. Take care. Thank you. I want to thank Patty McKillen for being with us today and taking the time to discuss Chateau Lacoste. It is truly a must visit for art lovers. Coming up on Passport to Everywhere, I'll share some tips on how to approach planning an art-filled trip to Provence. Share the show. Find more episodes of Passport to Everywhere with Melissa Biggs Bradley. Streaming now on all podcast platforms. Passport to Everywhere with Melissa Biggs Bradley. The international adventure continues. This past fall, I stayed at Villa Lacoste as part of a special art and design focused trip to Provence that I co-hosted with WSJ Magazine's contributing editor, Sarah Medford. 
We spent the first few nights in Arles, and then another three nights at Villa Lacoste, which is near Aix-en-Provence. As Patty mentioned, this region, perhaps because of its landscapes, or because of its light, or its l'art de vivre, as the French say, art of living, has long attracted artists from Van Gogh to Picasso, and it still does today. So here are some of my tips for making a visit to this region if you're an art lover. First, I highly recommend a few nights in the charming city of Arles, which, fun fact, has the largest number of Roman ruins outside of Rome. Every summer since 1970, Arles has hosted one of the world's best international photography festivals. It will run this year from July 3rd to September 24th. But the city's been given a special jolt of cultural energy in recent years by art collector and Swiss pharmaceutical heiress Maya Hoffman. She has donated an entire art park to the city, called the Parc des Ateliers, with exhibition spaces, restaurants, artist residence spaces, and at its center, a Frank Gehry-designed building with amazing art exhibits. Arl has other wonderful art gems, too. The renowned Japanese artist Lee Ufain chose to open his art foundation recently in a wonderful historic building in the heart of the pedestrian-only section of the city, and he enticed architect Tado Ando to assist with the building's renovation. There's also the Van Gogh Foundation, which hosts wonderful exhibitions each year. And be sure if you go to visit the Musée Réatou, the town's fine arts museum, which also has a lovely collection. The best places to stay in Arles are a suite of hotels that Maya Hoffman has bought and restored under the umbrella Les Maisons d'Arles, which range from the best of them, the 19-room L'Art Latin, to the historic Nord Pinus, which sits on a wonderful square in town, and Le Cloître, or Cloister, which has very reasonably priced rooms. There's some great restaurants in Arles, too, including the Drum Café at the Luma Foundation, the restaurant at L'Art and the outdoor café at Le Cloître, as well as Le Chassagnette, which is a charming farm-to-table spot in a vegetable garden setting just outside of town. So there's a few other things to know about visiting Arles. First, cars were banned from the center of town a few years ago. But if you don't want to walk through all of the cobblestone streets, there are pedicab services. One is called Hopla, H-O-P-L-A, which is free, and another is called Taco & Co. You can find it online and you can book a pedicab for a fee. And in terms of the best times to visit, if you're not coming specifically for the music and photo festivals in the summer, come in the late fall or early spring when weather is milder and the crowds are thinner. Other great art visits between Arles and Aix-en-Provence are going to the asylum where Van Gogh painted many of his great works. And not far away is the very first location of the artists' light shows that have now become a worldwide phenomenon. It's called Carrière des Lumières, and it's in Les Beaux. And it started with a light show of Van Gogh's works in the vast quarry caves of Les Beaux. It's now been taken to Paris as Les Ateliers de Lumière, and right now in New York, the concept is being featured as the Hall des Lumières, or Klimt Immersive. I've seen all three variations of these light shows with different artists, and the original one in Les Beaux in the huge quarry caves is definitely the most unique and well worth a visit. Finally, of course, art lovers should stay a few nights at Villa Lacoste in Provence and spend at least three days exploring the entire art park and grounds. Huge thank you to Patty McKillen for joining us today. To learn more about Chateau Lacoste and Villa Lacoste, check out our show notes. Thank you for tuning in to Passport to Everywhere this week. 
I hope this episode has transported you to the south of France and perhaps inspired you to start planning your own trip to Provence. Coming up on the show, I'll be taking you to Cambodia, Antarctica, Charleston, and many other destinations. In the meantime, please call with your questions and leave a message at 646-535-7297 or send me a note on Instagram at Indigari Travel or write us an email at passport at SiriusXM.com. Episodes of Passport to Everywhere with Melissa Biggs Bradley streaming now on all podcast platforms and anytime on the SXM app. Follow Melissa on Instagram at, at Indigari Founder. And for more on Melissa, head to Indigari.com. I N D A G A R E. Send us your questions about travel, passport at SiriusXM.com or call us at 646 535 7297. This has been Passport to Everywhere. everywhere.